The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Hi, I'm Allison Frankel. I'm very excited to welcome you to On the Case, a new podcast from Reuters. Our plan is simple. We are going to go right into the eye of the hurricane of daily legal news. We're going to look at law and precedent at the center of the storm with the experts who really know their stuff inside and out. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! The American people should be asking the question of, what is he trying to hide? What is he so afraid of? Why is he trying to shut me down? As the head of the executive branch and commander in chief, I have a unique constitutional responsibility to protect the nation's classified information. Today, in fulfilling that responsibility, I've decided to revoke the security clearance of John Brennan, former director of the Central Intelligence Agency. This week's episode brings together a trio you probably never could have imagined mentioning in the same breath before 2018. NFL protesters, Omarosa Manigo Newman, and ex-CIA chief John Brennan. They have one thing, and truly one thing, in common. President Donald Trump wants them all to shut up. The president's efforts to control what other people say stir up some really complicated questions about the First Amendment, employment law, and national security. I'm very lucky to have Alex Abdo, a senior staff attorney at Columbia's Knight First Amendment Institute, here to tease the whole thing out. Alex, can you just give me a quick recap of your very extensive and impressive bio? Sure. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. I've been at Columbia for about two years now, which is about how long the Institute has been around. And before that, I spent about eight years at the American Civil Liberties Union at the National Office in New York litigating questions relating to NSA surveillance uh, or the use of torture by the CIA and, and the military or the government's uh, blocking of uh, the assets of Muslim charities. Okay. We're going to hit a lot of those areas of expertise. You and your colleagues at night have done a lot of thinking over the last year about free speech and the presidency. You guys did a case on behalf of people who uh, were blocked by Donald Trump on Twitter. Can you just tell us very quickly a little bit about that case and what lessons we have from that case about free speech, the First Amendment, and Twitter? The basic premise of the case is that when politicians move online, the First Amendment ought to follow. In the physical world, if you're at a town hall meeting and you go to the podium to criticize uh, your city government, uh, they can't kick you out because you say something uh, that the presiding uh, official doesn't like. And the same should hold true on Twitter. Uh, when the president uses his Twitter account uh, in an official manner um, as a tool of governance, uh, the First Amendment should limit his ability to silence critics and to suppress dissent. That's the basic uh, uh, idea behind the case. One thing we've learned from the case is that Uh, there is a broad misconception about uh, what it means to cry foul when it comes to free speech. Um, There's the First Amendment, which limits the government's ability to suppress dissent and criticism. 
Um, and then there's a broader free speech principle that people are often alluding to when they say, but you're violating my right to free speech. Um, and, the, and the reality is the First Amendment limits the government, generally not private actors. Uh, and so critical to our case against the president is uh, that we make a showing that uh, he's using his Twitter account in an official way, not as a private citizen. If you were using it as a private citizen, then there's no question he could block people uh, free from legal constraint. So um, first I, I should ask, you guys won that case in the district court, right? That's right. And we're on appeal right now. The government has appealed. So the, the trial court said, yes, Twitter is official speech by the president. That's right. They said the president uses his account in an official way and for that reason can't uh, kick people out of his forum on the basis of their viewpoint. That's the cardinal sin when it comes to government suppression of speech is uh, punishing somebody for the views they hold. So given that the president's Twitter feed is considered official speech. We also know that president has used his Twitter feed to discourage NFL players who are protesting uh, mistreatment of uh, minority um, minority community members by taking a knee during the national anthem at NFL games. They are private employees. Do they have First Amendment rights as private employees? The general rule is no. The, the general rule is that a private employer, like an NFL team, can uh, fire its employees based on their speech. You can have speech codes at work. You can have you know, things you're not supposed to say. And they can fire you even for things you say not on the job. Um, there are some states that have laws uh, that try to limit uh, uh, discrimination against employees on the basis of their politics. Um, but the general rule, especially when you're talking about the First Amendment, is that private employers can do what they want. So presumably the league could have a policy saying you can't kneel during the, the anthem. That's right. So then what happens when there's an overlay of the president tweeting that he doesn't like these protests or the vice president walking out of a, a football game when, when players kneel. Is that considered a First Amendment issue? Well, the question then becomes, is the private suppression of speech, is the NFL's decision to suppress the speech of uh, Colin Kaepernick and other NFL players, is it really done at the behest of a public official? Has it become the action of the state uh, by virtue of the relationship between the state and, and, the, and the private official. And maybe it's easiest to illustrate by telling you about a case that actually happened here in New York about 15 years ago. There was a Christian ministry in Staten Island that uh, paid a private billboard contractor to put up billboards uh, that were homophobic in nature, uh, and they had them put up in uh, Staten Island. And uh, the borough president of Staten Island responded by sending a letter to the private contracting company, not to the Christian ministry, but to the billboard company. And the letter said, uh, these billboards are offensive and confrontational. Uh, please call my lawyer to talk about them. And by the way, your company derives substantial economic benefit from the billboards you place around Staten Island. And the Christian ministry sued Staten Island and said this was the suppression of speech done nominally by the private company, but mm -hmm. really uh, at the direction of the borough president of Staten Island. So, so the key there is the threat, by that's, the way. That's right. The key was a threat. And, and the, the court said, the question is, has the government implicitly threatened 
coercive state action that would stifle speech. Right. And the court held that, at least on the allegations in that case, it was enough and it could go to a jury. Um, and so the question for uh, the NFL and the president's tweets about the NFL becomes, has the president implicitly threatened to use the regulatory or coercive power of the federal government to punish uh, the NFL teams if they don't silence the speech of their protesting players. So is it enough to say people shouldn't go to the games or does he have to have done something that's a, a more explicit threat of government action? It, it can be implicit, but it needs to be a threat of action. It can't just be an expression of an opinion. Because remember, the president also has free speech rights and he's entitled to have a view that people shouldn't uh, kneel during the playing of the national anthem at an NFL game. Uh, but he can't cross the line from expressing that political opinion to implicitly threatening the NFL. And if I remember, one of the tweets suggested that Congress or the IRS, I forget who, ought to get rid of the tax breaks that the NFL enjoys. Uh. Um, and that, that sounds like a threat. And that would be the question a court would have to grapple with. You know, was that tweet or others like it really a threat at the NFL trying to prod them uh, into enacting, you know, what they later did enact, which was an, an anthem policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they, they've rescinded it since. So that's really interesting. So the president can say whatever he wants. Don't go to NFL games. These guys are bums. But as soon as he sort of invokes tax policy or some kind of stadium, you know, we're going to interfere with your, uh, with your, with your bonds, uh, then it crosses, it could cross a line. It could, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So who would have an action in that case? An NFL player who was fined by the league? It could be someone who was fined or somebody um, who was told they couldn't protest in the way they wanted. The, you know, the question for a court would be, um, have you suffered an injury as a result of what you believe to be uh, uh, the White House or President Trump uh, essentially coercing your employer into silencing your speech. And, uh, uh, you know, if you were told don't kneel, go to the locker room or you're fined or maybe you're even fired, all, all of those might, might qualify as injuries that would allow you to go into court and sue. Would it be likelier to be a player or an owner who has a cause of action? It could be either. Because like the Jets owner and the Giants owner and some other owners have said, we're not going to enforce any policy that forbids our players from from taking a knee. That's right. And, and so, you know, in, in the example I gave you earlier of the Christian ministry in Staten Island, the billboard company uh, might have sued the borough president mm-hmm. to get a ruling that the borough president was not entitled to retaliate against um, the billboard company for engaging in private contracts with the Christian ministry. Um, and similarly, I think an NFL team, uh, if it felt this coercive power you know, could sue to prevent the, the president from, in fact, uh, trying to um, revoke the tax breaks that the NFL gets. That's interesting. On a different kind of issue, we already have some some live dispute, and that's Omarosa, Manigal Newman, and uh, non-disclosure agreements that she signed both as a campaign employee of the Trump campaign and apparently as a White House employee. And I want to back up and ask how frequent it is for campaigns and for administrations to impose uh, 
non-disclosure agreement speech restrictions on employees? I don't know the answer to the first part of the question. I, I suspect it's quite common for campaigns uh, to ask their employees to sign NDAs, but I don't know the answer. I can tell you about the second, which is that it's uh, very uncommon for government agencies to impose uh, non-disparagement style NDAs on uh, their employees. What's far more common in government is for agencies, especially the intelligence community, the three-letter agencies, the NSA, the CIA, those, those sorts of agencies, uh, to impose restrictions on their employees from disclosing classified information. Mm-hmm. And, and that's for the obvious reason that you don't want uh, to you know, show somebody the, you know, the crown jewels of the CIA and then have them, uh, and, and then have them leak them. Um, but very uncommon to go beyond that to go mm-hmm. beyond a prohibition on the disclosure of classified information. So you would think when, you're, when your employer's the government and the government is not supposed to restrict what your rights are to speak, that the government couldn't impose any restrictions beyond national security restrictions on what you say. But that's not actually true, right? You're right. The courts have made clear that you give up some of your First Amendment rights when you go to work for government. You don't give them all up, uh, but you do give up some. And the general rule is that if you, even if you're a government employee, um, you're generally entitled to speak about matters of public concern so long as you're doing so in your private capacity as a citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you instead are speaking about um, matters of, you know, kind of only internal concern to the government, or if you're speaking about, you know, any kind of matter in your capacity as a government employee, then you don't have a First Amendment right to do so. But there are really two questions at issue when it comes to non-disclosure agreements for the government. One is the question of what could the government fire you for? On that, the government has a lot of leeway. They can fire you for a lot of things, especially if you're a senior aide. They can demand loyalty from you. You know, if you're a senior advisor, it's not unreasonable for the government to expect loyalty from you. But then there's a separate question of can they stop you from speaking once you've left government? Uh, And that's a different question. And there the courts have said, even if you were still a government employee and could, have, and could be fired for saying what you want to say, once you're out of government, you can still say most of those things without getting punished, generally so long as you're not disclosing classified information. So if Omarosa said what she said as an ex-government employee, there's not a whole lot the government could do except when it comes to the NDA. So then the question is, is the NDA enforceable? Well, that's what makes her case so interesting, is that she, uh, she signed an NDA with a campaign, and now uh, Trump the president, not Trump the candidate, um, you know, wants to enforce the terms of it against Omarosa. And I, I, you know, we don't have a lot of precedent on that, that <laughs> setup. I suspect the way a court would analyze it is, it was, they would ask, uh, is the president enforcing the NDA in his capacity as the president? Uh, is this a government restriction on Omarosa's speech? Or instead, is it the enforcement of what started out as a private contract and still remains a private contract between the Trump campaign uh, and Omarosa? Uh, I think there are reasons to believe they would, they would treat this as a government restriction, which is that uh, it's, it sure seems to be the White House imposing uh, or trying to enforce restrictions on Omarosa's disclosure of information she learned as an employee of the government, not as an employee of the Trump campaign. So in a way, it's sort of teasing out, to break it down, the enforceability of two different NDAs. 
And it sounds like you don't think the NDA that she signed as a White House employee has has much of a shot of being enforceable. That's right. It, you know, she's she's out of government. And I think unless the government is trying to prevent her from, uh, you know, disclosing classified information, uh, courts would be very skeptical. And even in that context, courts would be skeptical to um, actually prevent somebody from from talking, even if they're going to disclose classified information. Um, you know, there's the famous New York Times Pentagon Papers case where the Supreme Court said they would not issue a prior restraint against right. the New York Times' publication of very sensitive information about, about the Vietnam War, um, including classified information. But that's a, that's a far cry, you know, from what I think is going on in Amorosa's case. <laughs> and then there's the second question of the enforceability of the NDA she signed as a campaign employee, but you're saying that because it's the government acting to enforce the campaign NDA, that they might run into First Amendment problems. Well, that would be the question. And I, and I certainly don't know all the facts. And, um, you know, if that case really does get litigated fully, we'll see what the facts are. But that if I, that's how I think a court would analyze it. They try to really distinguish between who's doing the enforcing and what they're enforcing. Right. Or is it the government enforcing a government NDA uh, or is it a private actor enforcing a private NDA? The third big free speech issue that uh, the Trump administration has provoked, which is this question of John Brennan and his security clearance and his contention that the president is trying to trying to revoke his security clearance because he doesn't like what what Brennan is saying. You have litigated a ton of national security cases. What's your take on the First Amendment in national security versus the president's power to, you know, to safeguard the security of the nation? Yeah, I, I think it's important to start by you know, putting this into context. A lot of people don't realize how important security clearances are. And there are a lot of ways in which security clearances are the soft underbelly of the free speech rights of government employees. Millions of current and former government employees have or once had security clearances. I mm -hmm. think the number is five or more million. Um, wow, current, five million? That's right, current or former employees. And they rely on, uh, on those clearances uh, for their economic livelihood when they're in government, but also sometimes when they're outside of government. A lot of private employees rely on clearances. Uh, take, for example, Guantanamo defense attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, these are defense attorneys who uh, you know, are lawyers throughout the country who have taken up uh, uh, the defense of uh, some Guantanamo detainees, and they rely on their clearances to see classified information, uh, to be able to participate in the defense of their clients. Uh, and, they, and, and they need those clearances. And if their clearances were revoked, they would effectively be banished from the cases that or, they're working on. Or like lawyers who actually work on cases involving people's security clearances, right? I That's mean, right. Mundanely, if, if you work for a government contractor, uh, maybe you work for Boeing on some uh, new... Uh, fighter jet the government is building. You probably need a clearance for that job. I guess what, I, what I'm driving at is there are a lot of people who need their clearances who may, because of their job, may take positions that a particular administration isn't really happy about. That's right. If you're a Guantanamo defense attorney. Right. You know, the Guantanamo defense attorneys 
uh, who first took on some of those cases, were advocating publicly that then-President Bush had ordered the torture of their clients, had engaged in war crimes. They had mm-hmm. effectively accused the president of the United States of having engaged in war crimes. Um, and uh, the idea that they could, for that reason alone, uh, have their clearances revoked, be banished from those cases, um, is chilling. And, and the government exercises real control over people who have clearances. On the other hand, how often do people with security clearances speak out as, um, you know, unreservedly as some former, you know, intelligence folks have spoken out about the president? Well, well it happens. Uh, you know, there are a lot, of, um, a lot of former members of the military and the FBI who were very vocal in criticizing the CIA's decision to engage in torture mm-hmm. after 9-11. Um, Alberto Mora, who was the general counsel of the Navy, has been one of the most outspoken critics of the Bush administration's decision to torture. A lot of people like him who had the courage to say no. And if they thought uh, that they might have uh, lost their clearances as a result of standing up and saying no and lost their economic livelihood as a result, because you become essentially unemployable in government if you need a clearance for Mm -hmm. your job and don't have one, um, they may not have stood up. Uh, it, It would have been... Uh, an important consideration for them. Hmm. So the, this Brennan thing, the principle isn't one man and or even, you know, criticism of one administration. We're looking at a question that cuts across many administrations. That's right. Security clearances aren't a sexy topic for the, for the <laughs> public, but they are the way in which the government most directly can control the narrative about decisions made in secret. John Brennan hasn't to date brought an action. He has, he has talked about an action. What do you think courts would look at? Courts traditionally give pretty broad deference to, to, to the president or the executive branch on these clearance questions, right? That's right. They do. Courts are generally reluctant to second guess um, whether somebody is trustworthy with the nation's secrets. They leave that question to the executive branch. But I think that deference is is based on an assumption that executive officials issuing clearances uh, are basing their decisions on uh, proper considerations, like whether somebody is in fact trustworthy. Do they have a history of, of keeping their secrets? Are they likely to disclose the nation's secrets? Do they have relationships with uh, foreign adversaries um, that might be exploited you know, uh, um, in espionage? Those are the sorts of considerations I think courts are deferring to. Um, in this very long jurisprudence of, of deference. But what happened to Brennan is radically different. Um, you know, we seem to have a fairly public case of his security clearance being revoked, not because he was going to uh, disclose the nation's secrets, but because he wasn't personally loyal to the president, uh, because he expressed criticism uh, of the president. And I suspect, we don't have much precedent on this, but I suspect that courts would be um, a little bit less deferential in that context and might be willing uh, to analyze the question of whether Brennan's clearance were revoked for the proper reason that maybe he couldn't be trusted with secrets or for the improper reason that he had the wrong politics. It becomes kind of a constitutional showdown, right, between the president's, you know, constitutional power uh, as, as the guardian of our national security versus 
Brennan's First Amendment right, you know, in this kind of constitutional battle of titans, how, how does a court decide? I think it's a very hard question. Um, I, I, my instinct is that uh, Brennan would have a decent shot of convincing a court that what the president did was unconstitutional. Uh, but it may depend on whether there were other considerations we don't know about that the president had in mind when he revoked the clearance. Um, and it may depend on what exactly Brennan would ask a court to do. Um, you know, he, he might he, he'll have to tell a court what he wants for relief. Yeah. Does he want his clearance back or does he want maybe just a declaration that what happened to him was unconstitutional? Uh, and I think that would matter too to, to the court's decision. Interesting. Why, why would the relief be different? Because the court might be reluctant actually to restore the security clearance if, if they had any questions about? I, I think that's right. You know, in, in the government employee context, if you've been fired unconstitutionally for, uh, you know, based on your speech and you want your job back, courts have a set of questions they go through in deciding whether the relief of restoring your employment is appropriate. And I think they have the same sorts of questions in, in the context of Brennan's potential suit. Yeah. So so it would be it would be an easier case to to win a declaration you have a first amendment right to not lose your security clearance if you criticize the president. I think that's right, but even that would be very very important. Uh, oh yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I suspect that John Brennan isn't interested in having his clearance because he wants to go back into government. More likely he's interested in it because he wants to consult with the current CIA director or other government officials who want his advice based on his you know, decades of experience. But a declaration that the president couldn't revoke the clearances of uh, either current or former government employees on the basis of their politics would be important. Um, yeah. it, it would uh, you know, hopefully prevent it from happening again. Yeah. And it, it prevent it from happening again under any future administration. That's right. We have a lot of potential a lot of potential precedent that we can get from the Trump administration about, uh, you know, can a president influence a private employer uh, to to silence employees? Can can a, an administration enforce uh, a nondisclosure agreement on uh, on on former employees? Can a president? Uh, use national security powers to revoke security clearances of people who, whose speech he doesn't like. Did you ever imagine that we would be looking? You know? <laughs> no, the, the, this administration has been a, a case study in in questions that your law professors tell you may never be answered. <laughs> we may have to answer some of them. Yeah, it's a good time to be a First Amendment uh, public interest lawyer, right? <laughs> if you had to predict which which of these issues do you think is likeliest? to come to a head? I think it's a tough question. I, you know, I think for Omarosa and, and, and Brennan, it depends on um, the appetite of the parties involved to really get into litigation. Um, uh, uh, it's possible that Brennan will sue, and we may get an answer to that question of, can the president revoke a clearance because you said something that he didn't like? Yeah. Do you, have you guys heard any whisperings? We haven't. Thank you so much for coming. This was this was really interesting, and uh, and I I have a feeling we're not going to hear the last of uh, of the Trump administration and the First Amendment and the Knight Institute's involvement in it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to our first episode of On the Case. I'm Allison Frankel. <laughs>